Lord, I want to thank you for your grace and your mercy to us in Jesus. He's just better. And God, I want to confess that the, the reflex of my heart is not always that Jesus is better. That's why I get so disappointed when things don't go my way. That's why I have this, this, like, this desire, this hunger for the stuff of this world. And, and I have these moments of a pity party, Lord. I, I confess that. And I confess that it, it's, a, it's a root in my heart. It's just not good. Because it shows that I really don't believe that Jesus is better. And so I'd ask for repentance, Lord, in my own heart. And I thank you for the truth that never changes that having Christ, we genuinely have all things. Lord, I pray that you would do a work among us today, that we would study your word and that you'd be glorified in our response to it. And I'm asking you, Lord, to do supernatural things in the lives of the people in this room. Manifest your presence among us, God. Lord, I pray you would transform and change us. And Lord, we know we're not the only church in this community that's gathered in the name of Christ. So I pray for the gospel teaching churches that they would know and love and live and proclaim the one and only gospel of Jesus. Bless them, Lord, as our brothers and sisters. And Father, we thank you for our partners out of this community, those that are serving around the world, people like Brian and Jill and their family. Lord, I pray that you would give them grace. Lord, thank you for 18 people in a difficult context, who prayed to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior this past summer. We bless your name for that fruit and pray that it would remain. And God, I ask that you would sustain and strengthen that whole family and the church that's emerging um, around them. God, that they would have the focus and clarity to see that Jesus um, is just better than everything else. Every false religion, every worldly way of life. Jesus is better and more pleasurable and wonderful and satisfying than any other thing. So God, we thank you for our partners and ask blessing over them. We thank you for this time in the word and we pray that you'd be glorified in it. And we ask it all in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen, amen. You guys go ahead and take your Bibles, turn them to Jonah. And while you're turning to Jonah, I've got a long introduction because most of you don't know where that's at in the Bible. Uh, So Jonah chapter one, I love having conversations with my eye doctor. Now that may seem strange to you. Here's a little bit of history on that. First, when I was a little kid, when I was first grade, I had a really serious eye injury. I had to be hospitalized for a week. Two weeks after hospitalization, I had to stay basically uh, immobile for two weeks in my house. And so I started this this whole routine in childhood of uh, frequent visits to eye doctors and getting to know a little bit about how incredible the uh, the human eye is. Our eyes are just these incredible creations of God. And so on one hand, I've, I've kind of uh, learned the hard way about how our eyes work as, as people. And then the other thing is when I was in college, I uh, was wallpapering a, an eye doctor's office. And while I was wallpapering the eye doctor's office, I found this chart and I started looking at it. Not, a, not like a, a private chart, medical chart of a patient, uh, a, like a teaching chart, a chart of the human eye. And I found this really cool uh, uh, condition. It's, it's actually not a cool condition at all. It's just some cool 
words to describe a condition. And, and I, I memorized that because I thought this would be a great kind of uh, topic to talk with every eye doctor I ever meet about and just make it look like I kind of know what I'm talking about. So I make it my, my, my pattern that anytime I meet with a new eye doctor, at some point during the exam, I say, hey doc, uh, I'm a little concerned because I think I may have hyperemia associated with mild papillae and papillary conjunctivitis. Do you care to check? And then based on their response, whether they get that that's a joke and it should be laughed at, I, I choose whether or not I'm going to come back. So I enjoy having these conversations with my eye doctor. And I got to tell you, I have an awesome eye doctor in this community. Several years ago, I met him and, uh, you know, he, he got my joke. And, uh, and then he, of course, did an incredible thing that I love even more. Not only did he chuckle at it, he started to tell me the history of the names of that disease and, and taught me a few things. I really enjoyed that. So my doc, eye doctor and I uh, have a really cool conversation every time that we get together. And this last eye exam, which was last year, uh, he and I were talking and he said, hey, Titus, you know what one of my pet peeves are? Now, he's not a believer, um, but, but he says, you know, one of my pet peeves is I don't know why preachers keep preaching all these old stories like Jonah. Like, I don't get why people keep preaching Jonah. I mean, there are a lot of interesting people that have lived since then. And, and I said, I, I kind of get what you're saying because he was talking about how every time he goes and somebody preaches on Jonah, that everybody in the congregation falls asleep. And, um, and I said, well, that kind of brings something up because it's one of my pet peeves and it's terrible preachers. Uh, I said, listen, here's, here's what I think the issue is with Jonah is that people entirely miss the point. They're, they're consumed with details about Jonah that don't matter at all concerning the way that we live and who we are as people. They miss the fact that Jonah is about a great, big, glorious God who loves people. And, and he didn't even know it, but he'd opened a gospel door for me. So I just lay out the gospel. I say, listen, great, big, glorious God who shows grace to terrible, broken people like Ninevites. And he shows kindness to terrible, racist xenophobes like Jonah. And he uses people like that, like us, to accomplish his purpose. It's all about the grace of God to us and Jesus. And and then he turned the subject on me. But as I was thinking about that last year, I started to pray, God, what would it look like for us to revisit a story that we're really familiar with? This this story that's not a made-up myth about a guy getting swallowed by a great fish, but the true story of a man who encounters a great, big, powerful God. So God laid that on my heart, and I've shared with you throughout this year that I've been meaning to start Jonah several different times, and the Holy Spirit has kind of twisted me this way or that. And so this morning, we're actually gonna start the book of Jonah. And I know this is a familiar story for almost everyone in this room, but I'm praying that God would give us fresh eyes and fresh ears to see and hear the word of God for us in Jonah. So if you finally found Jonah, uh, we're gonna be in Jonah chapter one, and I'm just going to read this whole chapter for us this morning. Jonah 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, 
And there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. And then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, "Uh, what do you mean you sleeper? Arise, go out, call to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? What people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you've done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had already told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you for I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, oh Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Verse 17, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days later. This is the word of God for us today. So here's this story. We're we're all pretty familiar with it. The book of Jonah was uh, uh, written sometime after Jonah's life. We don't know exactly who wrote it, but we we do know that Jonah probably lived sometime around 780 BC. And just to give you some context for where we've been in as a church, we've been in the book of Ruth, and Ruth was written about 200 years or so before the book of Jonah. So we studied Ruth, 200 years now passed by. This week we're picking up here in Jonah. And Jonah is this prophet of God in Israel. He gets this word that comes from the Lord. Hey, go to Nineveh, this great city. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Uh, It's actually located in what's now modern day Iraq, northern Iraq. As a matter of fact, the city of Mosul, most of you guys have ever have heard about Mosul or Mosul. I don't ever know how to pronounce those names, but uh, Mosul is actually the city of Nineveh. It's right there in that region. And so there's Nineveh, this great capital city. Its its wickedness was well known. Sometime through this study, I'll probably share some of the uh, findings of historians about the wickedness and cruelty of the Ninevites. But here this word comes to Jonah and God says, hey, go to Nineveh. And you know what Jonah says? He says, no. He goes the other way. Tarshish is is a city about 2,500 miles in the exact opposite direction of Nineveh. And so here's Jonah, gets this word from God, doesn't want to go, heads the exact opposite direction, would have taken him about a, a whole year to get to actual Tarshish. He's just running away from God. And as I was thinking about this dynamic that all of us are really familiar with, uh, there, there's this one thing that we talk about a lot when we look at Jonah in chapter one, and it's this, it's running away from God is stupid. Did you guys know that? 
Like, this, this prophet is, is obviously a, a, a knucklehead, is the, the technical term. Running away from God, and it, it seems obvious for most of us, running from God is a bad plan, right? But as I was thinking about this, as I was praying over this chapter, I just began to wrestle, God, what, what causes us to run in the first place? What is it about us as people? What is it about Jonah that would cause us to run away from God in the first place? And here's one of the things that I was, I was praying over and I wanna share with you. As we look at Jonah, here's what we see. Jonah runs from God because he has a big view of himself and a little view of God. I mean, is there, is there any more of an upside down view of God than a guy telling him no to his face and then running away from him? A big view of, who do you think you are, Jonah? Telling God no, and then running away. What is wrong with you, man? He has a big view of self. He has a small view of God. And and here's what we see in Jonah 1. This is what I want us to see this morning and just be pressing into throughout this, uh, this message is this. We begin to live in foolish ways. We begin to live in foolish ways when our view of God fails to see that God is bigger than we think and better than we can imagine. You guys hear that? Let me just, let me make this a little more personal. You begin to live in foolish ways when your view of God fails to see that God is bigger than you think. How big do you think God is? How big do you think God is? I don't know what your answer was. I'll tell you what the truth is. He's bigger than that. He's bigger than you think and he's better than you can imagine. So let me just show you this from the text. The first thing I want you to see is that Jonah failed to see that God was bigger than he thought, or he's bigger than we think. Look back at verse three, and let's just look at this phrase here. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, went down into it to go with him to Tarshish, which is, I've just got to be honest, for whatever reason, it's one of the hardest words for me to say. Tarshish, Worcestershire, Tarshish, Shosh. Uh, it's a great hamburger, uh, Worcestershire, Tarshish, Shosh. So, so Tarshish, look at that next phrase away from the presence of the Lord. Now, now, in case you think that the author got this wrong, uh, go down to, to verse 10. The men of the ship are afraid. They say to him, hey, what have you done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. How would they know that? Because he told them. Hey, bro, what you doing? Running from God. It's the big plan. I don't know what else I'm going to do, but thought I'd spend the next year or so just, just running from him, a little Forrest Gump action, but in the opposite way, right? So here's this, this dude's plan, run from God. And here's what you see, this, this idea, I'm running from the presence of the Lord. It shows that Jonah at least, at least had three misconceptions about God. His view of God was small. So first of all, he had a small view of God's presence, right? Just the very fact he thought he could run away from God diminishes the fact that he doesn't understand anything about God. So he has this small view of God's presence because he thinks he can actually run away from God's presence. He had a small view of God's power, right? 
So he doesn't want to go to Nineveh because the Ninevites are his enemy. And he's convinced that if the Ninevites become God's friends, God will use the Ninevites to destroy his people. And so I don't want to go there. So he thinks that he can somehow overthrow God's rule in this matter. And, and just, I'm going, to, I'm going to go ahead and stop God by running away. I think I can beat God. I think I can outpace God. I think I can stay one step ahead of God. And so Jonah has this, uh, this, this small view of God. God's presence. He has this small view of God's power. He has this small view of God's plan, okay? Because he, he's convinced that it all hinges on him. What, God? You, 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 you want to you get your word to Nineveh? Hmm. Well, if I refuse to do it, God has no other options because it all depends on me, right? He has this view of God's plan like it all depends on him, on Jonah. And so he has this small view of God and in his small view of God, he chooses to run away. And I just wanna show you something. Look down in verse eight and nine. Here's a grid we're gonna use in the remainder of our time together. Look at verses eight and nine. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, listen to what he says. I'm a Hebrew. Now, if you ever, you ever want to talk about a guy who's just an, an all-out head case, it's this dude. Listen, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. I mean, you can almost hear him. My kids call me, when I start talking about, you know, Bible questions and things, my kids warn me, hey dad, don't go into preacher mode. Just talk to us, all right? Jonah goes into preacher mode here, right? What's going on? Glad you asked. I'm a pro. Let me tell you, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made this sea and the earth and everything else. Blah, blah, blah. That's, you hear him? He, he says all the right things, right? And here's the, here's, the, here's the point. Here's why I'm pointing that out. What you believe about God Listen, what you believe about God isn't revealed only by what you say, but more by how you live. Amen. Right? Because we could sit in a room like this and we'll all say amen. Woohoo. Yeah, that's good. I fear the Lord. This guy's a knucklehead. Glad I'm not like him and not realize that our view of God, our belief in God is revealed more by how we live than what we say. So we're gonna, we're gonna keep that as a grid. And here's what I wanna show you is that Jonah has this small view of God revealed by how he lives and whoever the author under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of Jonah is, that this author in Jonah 1 wants us to see in crystal clear ways truth about God in all three of those areas where Jonah failed. So, so he wants us to know, he wants us to know a few things about God. So let's just look at what we see about God in Jonah 1. And here's what I hope that you see is that the Bible is a book about about God. The main character in Jonah isn't Jonah. It's God. The main character in your life isn't you. It's God. And let me show you how this passage shows us truth about God's greatness concerning his presence, his power, and his plan. Here's the first thing it teaches us. Here's the first thing. You guys ready for the first thing? I can't tell if you've already checked out on Labor Day weekend or I'm not sure, but here's the story. Here's the first thing. God is everywhere. 
God is everywhere. In verse one, he's in Israel when he comes to Jonah and tells him where to go. He's out on the sea when the wind blows up. He's on the boat when the men cast lots. He is out in the depths getting a fish prepared to come when Jonah's thrown in. He's in the belly of that fish in chapter two when Jonah prays to him. He's in Nineveh when Jonah finally goes there and they repent. He's up on the hillside outside of Nineveh when Jonah finally sees what God does and he's mad about it. God is everywhere. You know that? There is no place. There is no place where you would go at any time or place on this planet where God is not present. All right? You guys believe that? You believe that? Do you believe God's everywhere? Do you guys believe God's everywhere? You do? Okay, some of you. Cool. I was going to whip you into a froth because here's the story. Since what you believe about God is revealed more by how you live than what you say, can I just ask you this? Do you live like you believe that God is everywhere? Yes. Did you last night? I hate to bring this up, but I've got a feeling that some of your football teams didn't do well yesterday. I'm sorry. Not all of ours. I'm just saying... Just saying, Carol, Sam and Nancy, you guys, that's what I'm talking about. So did, did, did it look like God was in your living room yesterday during the game? Okay, so here, let me ask you this. What would it change about your car ride home today? What would it change about your lunch today? What would it change about your conversation around the water cooler this week? What would it change as you encounter traffic on Courtney Parkway? What would it change as you sit in the doctor's office and get the news that you may receive if you believed Almighty God is there? God is everywhere. Psalm 139 says, where shall I go from your presence? Where would I flee If I take the wings of the morning and I fly to the heights of the heaven, if I make my bed in hell, behold, oh God, you are already there. God is everywhere. Not only is God everywhere, I want you to show you the next thing that says, it says God is everywhere and God is sovereign everywhere. Sovereign means that he has the right and the power to do as he pleases. He has the authority. He has the strength to do whatever he wants. It means that he is in control. God is everywhere and God is in control everywhere. Let's just look at this. In verse one, God shows up and he tells Jonah what to do. You know why? Because he has the authority to tell us what to do. He's the sovereign king of all of the universe. Sorry, I got to start to go crazy there for a second. It was awesome. Verse four, God tells the wind to blow. He's, He's sovereign over nature. Verse seven, God causes the lot you guys know this in verse seven, they cast lots. Who, who is it? Somehow, crazy enough, the lot falls to Jonah. Kawinky dink. No, because God is sovereign over random events. He's sovereign over people. He's sovereign over nature. He's sovereign over random events. Verse 17, the Lord appointed a great fish. God is sovereign over animals, even your neighbor's dog. Man, I wish that thing would shut up. And now, anyhow, 
look at, I want to show you another thing. Look at this. Look at chapter 2, verse 2. Now, before you look at it, don't, don't cheat. Don't cheat. Who threw, who threw Noah? Noah, how did he get in this story? I knew he was going to do it. I promise you, I almost told you. I promise you, I almost told you at the very beginning. One time during this series, I'm going to call this guy Noah. Uh, no, Jonah and the ark, Noah and the whale, whatever. <laughs> who threw Jonah overboard? Who threw it? Who threw it? Who threw it? Don't cheat, don't cheat. Who threw it? The sailors. And here's the big hint. We just read it. I read every verse at the beginning of the sermon. The sailors threw Jonah over the ship. Look at chapter 2, verse 2. He says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried, and you heard my voice. Verse 3, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the flood surrounded me. Who threw Jonah over? God did, and people did. Why? Because God is sovereign even over the choices of people. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. Did they, did they really choose to do that? Did they really? Yeah, they did. Of course they did. They really chose to throw Jonah overboard. And did God exercise sovereign power over it? Yeah, he did. Because he's sovereign over nature and people, even the choices of man, and even your neighbor's dog. God is sovereign over all things. Let me just read this off. In in chapter 2, verse 10, he tells the fish to throw up. God's sovereign over the gastrointestinal condition of a fish. God is sovereign, verse 4, 6. It says that he appointed a plant to wither, to grow up. God's sovereign over plants. Verse verse 7 of chapter 4, he appointed a worm to eat that plant. God's sovereign over worms. Gives me a a little bit of hope. Chapter four, verse eight. He's sovereign over the wind. Listen, listen to this. Psalm 115, three says this. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. God is not only everywhere. God is sovereign everywhere. He's in control and it has a million implications. But just think about what what Jonah's going through going through here. He is in the middle of an absolute life-ending storm. This is not just a little breeze that hit the ship the wrong way. This is a mega weather event. The sailors are flipping out. Hey, let me just ask you this. I hate to fly. I do not like to fly. I, I, I don't like to fly because I, I don't like to think about crashing. So I don't like to fly. Every time there's a little bit of turbulence, I reflexively look to the crew you guys do that? Like if I'm shaking here, I'm trying to find someone employed by that airline to see if they're freaking out too. You know what I mean? Hey, is she smiling or is that a fake smile? Is she, is she trying to fool us? I look to the crew. In this instance, Jonah looks to the crew. They are losing their minds. It's a very real storm. And the Bible's teaching us in a very real storm that very well could kill him. God was in control. Do, do, you guys be, do, you guys believe, do you guys believe that God is in control yes. of everything, all the time, everywhere? But since what you believe about God isn't revealed primarily by what you say, but how you live, do you live like you believe that God is in control? Is that, is that a part of our lives? What would it change? Let me just ask you this. Let me just ask you this. Just think, you know, say it out loud. Just think, what's the thing you're most afraid of right now? You guys all have that, that thing that you most fear the, the, the concern in your heart about someone, something that, that, that will keep you up at night. God's in control of that. And 
You either believe that or you don't. And if you believe it, you begin to live like you believe it. God is everywhere. God is in control everywhere. Look at this last thing. God's plans cannot be stopped. What did God want Jonah to do? Well, let's go to here to chapter one, verse one. I mean, verse two. He says, arise, go to Nineveh. What's Jonah say? God says go. Jonah says, there you go. And over the boat he did throw. I thought, I love Dr. Seuss. I love that guy. Oh, the places he'd go. Anyhow. Okay, so God says go. Jonah says no. Here's, here's, Here's a spoiler alert. What happened? He went. He went. Why? Because God's plans will not be stopped. Job 42, 2, you guys can write this down. When Job finally comes to his senses, you know what he says? When God shows up, he says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Do you want to know the best example we have of this? Here's the best example we have of this. The death of Jesus Christ. When did it ever seem like the universe was upside down and in chaos more than when Jesus, God in the flesh, was being killed by his creatures? When did it ever seem like the whole thing had just come undone and was spiraling out of control when God was hanging on a cross being killed by his creatures? But what's the Bible say about that event? Let let me read you a couple of verses. I went ahead and wrote these down. Write them down. Acts chapter two, verse 38. Listen to what Acts 2, 38 says. This Jesus, as Paul's preaching, or Peter is preaching there in Jerusalem, he says this Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Did those people, did they want it? Did they want to kill Jesus? Yeah, they did. And the only reason they were able to do it is because it was God's plan. Right, right down just a couple chapters later, Acts 4, verses 27 and 28. The, the apostles are praying to God and they say, truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with, all the Gent- or along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. That's pretty much everybody. Look at verse 28 says this, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. I wonder, I wonder if God's enemy ever has that feeling of having committed the all-time biggest backfire in the history of the world. Because at the moment when it seems like the enemies of God are running amok and overthrowing him and his plan, God is showing his power and his strength to use even their rebellion, even their brokenness to accomplish his plan. God is everywhere. God is in control everywhere. And God's plans will be accomplished. And since what we believe about God is not only revealed by what we say, but how we live, what would change about your life? What would change about your pain, your anger, your anxiety, if you believed that God's plan for your life will not be stopped 
You won't get it all right, but you won't mess it all up because God is just bigger than that. He's strong. He's in control everywhere and even in his plans for your life. Jonah failed to see that. And he also failed to see something else. Not only is God bigger than we think he is, God is better than we could ever imagine. You you want to know why why Jonah's running away? Go to chapter 4, verse 2. Go to chapter 4, just verse 2. And and I hate to give this all away, but uh, Nineveh actually repents. Jonah's angry about it. This is quite a pastor you have here. Pastor, I got my life right. Man, that really ticks me off. Verse two, and he prayed to the Lord and said, Lord, is this not what I said when I was in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are gracious, a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Oh Lord, please take my life. Do you hear that? He says this, I knew that if they repented, you would let them, you would show them grace, you would show them mercy. And you know what he's saying? He's saying, and that spells trouble for me. Because Jonah couldn't conceive of the fact that God could show grace to the nations of the earth without destroying the nation of Israel. He forgot that God wasn't just good, God was better than he thought. He forgot that God had shown grace to Gentiles before. This is the great connection between Ruth and Jonah. Remember in Ruth, God takes an enemy of his people, a Moabite girl named Ruth. He redeems her, shows her grace. And that that redemption, that, that grace, it didn't ruin his plans for Israel. It established them because that Gentile who comes to see God's grace becomes the great, great grandmother of King David and the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus himself. God isn't just gracious. He's more gracious than you can imagine. God isn't just good. He is better than you could conceive. Jonah forgot that because grace to others he felt was gonna gonna shut down God's plan for his life. This is the thing, God's goodness, his grace. It's the thing that makes God's power good news. Absolute power in the hands of a petty tyrant isn't good. You guys probably got the news this week too about North Korea's nuclear missile testing, right? And the reason why we we don't feel good about that dude having nuclear weapons is because he's certifiably insane. He's crazy. He's maniacal. He's evil. And we don't want evil, evil men to have absolute power. That is the thing that makes God's greatness so wonderful news because God isn't just great, God is good. And he leverages his mighty power for the good of all his people among all the nations of the earth. Let me just show you how he does that in this chapter. If you don't see this, Jonah 1 is not primarily about a man who runs away. You guys get this? That's why we wanted to look at God. Jonah 1 is not primarily about a man who runs away. Do you want to know what it's about? I'm glad you asked. 
It's about a God who goes after a man who runs away. Do you realize that the fact there is a Jonah chapter two is the expression of God's grace. Jonah runs away and you know what God does? He comes after him. He comes after him and he finds him and he says you could go this far but no further. You'll never ever make it to Tarshish, bro because I'm coming after you and I'm coming to get you. And if you and I were writing the story, it would end verse 16 with God appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah just to make it harder when he died, just to show him. That's not how God does it. He lives for three days and God meets him there. Why? Because God is so gracious that he comes after a man who runs away from him. And not only does he come after a man who runs away from him, he uses his running to serve his purpose. Go back to verse 14. I just want to show you this. Verse 14, therefore they called out these these sailors. To this point in the text, these sailors have been using a generic name for, for God, little g, God. But here in verse 14, they called out to, look at that in your Bibles, the Lord. That's the covenant name of God. They call out to the specific, the one and only God of Israel. They call out to the Lord, oh Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. Save us. Lay not on us innocent blood for you, oh Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, hurled him in the sea. They ceased from its, and it ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Now I know people debate, was their repentance real? I don't know, you could ask them. But here's the story. As we know this, God says, I'm gonna go after a man who runs away from me and I'm only, I'm even, I'm even going to be so good that I'm going to use his running to make my name great among the nations. Okay, hey, hey, Jonah, go ahead and run. There's some sailors heading to Tarshish. I wanted to go after them anyhow. I'll use you, bro. Why? Because God is bigger than we think, and he's better than we can imagine. So how should you respond? A couple points of application for all of us. Some of you need to stop running and obey God. I don't know what it is in your heart that you fear you'll lose, what it is that you think you're going to encounter that's causing you to hold back in obedience to God. And many of you, even under the power of the Holy Spirit, you know right now when I talk about obeying God, you know what that means for your life. You know that hesitation in your heart. Stop running. Stop running. See that God is bigger than you could think and better than you can imagine. Obey. Some of you need to stop worrying and start trusting. You've got a storm. You've got a storm. Listen, when I look out at you and I see you guys looking back at me, you may not know this, but I do see your faces until you do this and fall asleep. Then I just see the tops of your heads. I see your faces and I know many of your stories. And when I say you're going through a storm, I'm not saying that generically because I know your storms. I know how many of you are walking through. I'm reminded of them as, as I'm looking at your faces. You guys don't all know each other's storms. I know a lot of yours. And many of you need to hear this. That storm, that storm that you're so afraid of, God is in control of. And he's not just great, he's good. 
God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps on the sea. He rides upon the storm. You fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are full of mercy and will break in blessings on your head. God's gonna turn this for his glory and your good. Stop running, obey. Stop worrying and trust. And for all of us, embrace the God who is bigger than we think and better than we can imagine. Praise him. Praise him in your storm. Praise him where you are. Praise him with what you have and do not have. He is a glorious and gracious God and he's coming after you. You can run, but you can't hide because he's bigger than you think and he's better than you can imagine. Is that good news? That's good news. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? And I'm gonna gonna call us into a time of response and praise. And while you you have your heads bowed, I'm just gonna go ahead and ask our pastors to go ahead and come down front. So pastors, would you go ahead and come down front so you'd be ready to pray or speak with anybody that may wanna have a pastor praying over them? And while our pastors come down front to pray with any who may have a, a need that you'd like to have a pastor pray with you about, right there at your seat, I just want to ask you, this morning is God calling you to stop running? What are the forms or the places of obedience in your heart that for whatever reason you've been afraid to go, to step out into? Right now, right now I'm going to ask you, would you, would you ask God to strengthen you, to show you who he really is, not that you can sum him up, but so that you could be blown away by how great and good he is. And by faith, would you purpose to obey him? By his strength and by his grace, would you purpose to obey him? Those of you that are being called to to stop worrying, what is it you're afraid of? Right there, would you just at your seat, would you just pray that God would give you eyes to see that he is bigger and stronger than whatever you're afraid of and that he's good and gracious in it. For those of you who have never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, I would encourage you, would you you call on Christ to save you? Confessing your brokenness and rebellion and your sin and acknowledging that as Jesus was hanging on the cross, that was God's plan to save you. Jesus was hanging on the cross so he could take the punishment for your sin. And when he died, he endured the wrath of God so that you wouldn't have to. He was raised again three days later so that he could give his power to you to live the life God's called you to. Would you confess that and call on Jesus to save you? And for all of us, would we just pray that God would let us do more than say the right things about God, but to live like we believe that he's bigger than we think and that he's better than we can imagine. Father, stir our hearts to sing your praise, cause us to obey and trust you in these moments. Be glorified in us and let us be satisfied in you. And we pray it all in Jesus' name, amen.